2: Welcome to Reality Renault with Mitch and Mark, where we talk to some people that you will definitely know a bit about and find out more about what goes on in their life and how they've got to be who they are today.
0: And a little touch of Renault, because everyone's had their own Renault experience, good and bad.
2: Whether it's a house or whether it's yourself, everyone's done some form of Renault.
0: They have. Mitchy. but before we get to this week's guest... We had an interesting week again.
2: We had a week of fancy pants events, starting off with, I went down on my own to the opening of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, and it was so good to be back in Melbourne with the town abuzz, food, wine, and fabulousness going off. Is it like Melbourne's coming back? Absolutely. It's so good to see coming out of COVID, and um, also down in Melbourne, nice and dry.
0: Yeah, well, that was good because you landed back in Sydney on Friday to the wet weather we have here in Sydney. For those of you elsewhere in the country, it's still raining. And we went to the opening night of...
2: Phantom Phantom of the Opera. It was absolutely amazing. And I've got to say, the whole thing was amazing. We got to meet... Anthony Lloyd Webber, the creator of Phantom of the it Opera. He would be
0: Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Anthony. So for those listening, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. And just as a little heads up, Mitch stepped backwards right into Andrew Lloyd Webber's past, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, and almost knocked him to the ground. Yeah, it was right. like before it even started, we nearly had a disaster. So that's how I got to meet him. That's how you got to meet him. However, we did have another really interesting meeting at the intermission We were hanging around, having a drink, and then this lovely couple came over and said hello, they'd seen us on the block. We said, oh, are you enjoying the show? And they went, yes, yes, our son's in the show. We said, oh, great, he's part of, you know, the cast
2: somewhere. And they went, "Uh, yeah, he's the Phantom. Joshua Robson, absolutely brilliant performance by Joshua and, of course, also by um, Georgina Hobson, who was the female lead.
0: Yes, she plays Christine. So meeting Joshua's parents, we were overwhelmed. We said, your son is the Phantom. Please, people, if you can get to Sydney and see this, he is a star. Georgina is a star.
2: And the stage is a star. Mark, seriously, I had to take a moment looking around while we're sitting on the, fore, the foreshore of the, of the Sydney harbour with the Opera House, the bridge, and the city skyline in the background. I thought this could be the most impressive thing to sit and watch in any city of the world, let alone. I think one of the most beautiful cities you'll ever get to see. It was the Phantom like of the that. Opera on the Harbour is a world standard
0: event. If you can go, go, it's it's incredible.
2: But at the end of it, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Sir Andrew Lloyd Not Webber, Anthony, he, um, we got invited to an after party, which was on the rooftop, um, and he was doing he was doing his DJ, which is a sort of uh, a mash up oh, of, uh, of phantom tracks. It was so cool. Until the heavens opened and everybody started getting drenched, and yeah. we thought, "What the heck? We're already wet. Let's just dance and and make the most of this incredible." Well, they had
0: a great. They had a great little break of no rain. The whole performance was completely free of rain. So, maybe the Phantom was holding off for a little bit.
2: But then we got to have another absolutely wonderful night out on Saturday night. You're going to think all we do is go out. We don't. Honestly, we did have a big week of it. You may know a guest that we had on our one of our early episodes, Jules Robson, uh, married to Jules Cam... Robinson. Robinson. You <laughs> said Robson. Sorry, Joshua. <laughs> Joshua Robson, Jules Married Robinson. to Cam Merchant, um, who you will know from maths, married first sight back in the days when it was a little, a little less hostile. Not like it is now. Oh, my God. But we celebrated Jules' 40th birthday at the Ivy Penthouse, and it was a big night. <laughs> it
0: was... It was a very big night. Const- and uh, Jason and Terry, Jason Alberta from The Block and his wife Terry came up. We did have a big night. Sunday was very slow. So fortunately we had a rest. But, Mitchie, before we move on to talking to our guests, I do want to just comment, people would have seen last last night, so this we're recording this Tuesday, last night was the Oscars and oh Will
2: Smith. Oh, my goodness. That with um, Will Smith. What's your take on that? Um, my take on on it is that he smacked a guy in the face who was not expecting it. So my view is, um, what's his name, the guy who's who? Chris Rock. Chris Rock uh, said something inappropriate in part of the joke thing, as they do in the Oscars. Um, mm. But then Will Smith took it upon himself to smack him in the face and then justify it when he took, did his um, winning Oscars speech. Yeah. Um, justify it. And I'm sorry, it was basically it was uh, – it could have been a hit from behind. Uh, Chris Rock never saw it coming, yeah. and I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't. Well, we've been calling those things now coward hits. So it was a coward punch. It, it's Coward
0: slap. We've taught our kids, I think we were taught, two wrongs do not make a right. And whilst you are offended, if it is offen- offensive, you can certainly challenge that, but it doesn't justify violence. It doesn't give you the right to walk up on stage and assault somebody. It's it's never a way to do with conflict, and I think... To see that on TV from yep. somebody who is in a privileged position in in Hollywood is is appalling, and, and then a, and
2: then try and justify it. So I think it's a watch this space and see what happens from that. I, oh. I think it's got to be really called cool out. I big was time.
0: completely shocked by the reaction.
2: But now to positive things, our guest this week knows a thing or two or dozen about the real estate market.
0: She knows so much about it and we've had good fortune to have worked with her a little bit, a few times. She has so much knowledge about what's going on in the market, but she does a role that when I first heard what this role was, a buyer's advocate role, I went, oh, we've never used a buyer's advocate. I didn't really understand it.
2: Well, so we'll hear more about it and exactly what the role is, but from my understanding, it's someone who sits between the real estate agent and the prospective purchaser mm-hmm. and, helps, and, and actually helps the purchaser find the home. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out and a lot of the running around out, I think. And maybe saves some money along the way.
0: I'm really interested to talk to this this person because the budget is just coming out. We're seeing changes potentially to interest rates, impacts on people's ability to borrow money. Um, maybe the budget, I think, has got some incentives for first home buyers. But on the other side of that, what about people who are a bit older who may not have bought a home yet and they want to get into the market? I think it'd be really interesting to get her take on how do you buy in the current market?
2: Our guest today is Nicole Jacobs, who you will have seen on the block. She is the petite uh, brunette dynamo. Beautifully dressed. Always maculay dressed. I love her style. Mm. But Nicole is the person that you see at all the block auctions and bidding on different properties for prospective buyers. Yes. And she helped us out in our block in 2021. Yes. She led us towards buyers.
0: Well, she led us towards a four bedroom
2: home, but we'll talk to her about that in a moment. Yeah, that's another story. Anyway, without any further ado, um, welcome to Nicole Jacobs. Nicole, it is so lovely to see you. Welcome to Reality Reno.
1: It's so good to see you as well. I'm so glad we can actually connect with a photograph or a video at the same time as well.
0: And, and I think it's great to spend this a bit of time to just to talk one-on-one with you because when we've done that before, it's always been on the block and so there's been so much happening and you come in as a buyer's advocate and you provide some feedback and advice and, you know, we do the buyer's night, but you don't really get to spend some time to really have a chat and find out some more about
2: Before we even do all that, I want to, I want to find out from Nicole because I've got an idea what a buyer's advocate is, but I don't want to tell you because I might be totally wrong. Please explain. Buyer's advocate. <laughs>
1: So a buyer's advocate basically has the back of the buyer. So we represent the buyer professionally and we... If we're searching for, we, we listen to their brief, we search for that property, and then we do all the due diligence surrounding the property before they buy it and make a decision, and then we're there to help them buy it. So we might be there bidding on the day, like at the block, uh, negotiating prior, negotiating afterwards, or it could be a boardroom auction. Whatever the mode of selling is, we have our clients back and we represent them when they buy. So we have No, no, we don't want to look after the vendor anymore, the selling, you know, person selling. We just look after the buyer.
2: So why would someone go to a buyer's advocate and not just go straight to a real estate agent and buy a property direct?
1: It's an amazingly good question and a simple one, though, because if you have a look at the statistics, 99% of people will sell their home through an agent but 1% will actually buy through a buyer's advocate. We know that the market is increasing because they're becoming more and more uh, educated as to needing somebody that can have great access to properties that are off-market, pre-market or on-market. And one of the biggest things is making sure that someone buys the right property. So a lot of people get very, I guess, tainted with the market and with agents. They become quite... Uh, agitated and they can make decisions that are based on emotion rather than making decisions that are based on fact as well as really looking at does this home really suit us and if they're thinking of buying it just because it fits in their price range six months down the track 12 months down the track very likely they're going to look around and say this is the wrong home we should never have bought it so The simple fact of why you would engage someone is because of their expertise and knowledge of the market. They can delve down into the market and find out what's actually happening in that patch that they're buying in, because it's all very well to look at a bigger market and we can look at clearance rates and what have you. But at the end of the day, the clearance rates usually give you an overall look across that state. But you might be looking in a suburb that has a clearance rate of 49%. Well, knowing that is critical because then when you go in to negotiate with the agent, you know, you know what, half the properties here actually don't sell. So you priced it too high.
0: So, Nicole, I'm interested because the buyer's advocate role, to me the block kind of introduced that to the broader population of Australia because I'd never really heard about buyer's advocates and when I first saw the the advocates involved, I was like, oh, that's only for, you know, that's for rich people, it's not for the general (laughs) punter. But listening to you, is it fair to say that, A buyer's advocate brings a whole lot of information and knowledge to somebody buying because people don't buy houses a lot.
1: Correct. Some do, but it's, it's... It's totally correct. So when you have a look at how many times you might buy a house in a lifetime, for most people, they buy their first home, they get married, have kids, they buy their second home, and if they're lucky, they might upgrade after that home. So that's three homes in a lifetime, if that. I mean, some people grew up in the same home and they've never moved since. So you very rarely have people that are in that market constantly dealing with agents, constantly understanding the market and the changes and the nuances. So if you are not in the market like we are, then you are very likely to make an emotional decision or make the wrong decision based on just a budget. We've got clients that are 1st home buyers all the way through to $30 million. So. There are always going to be options for buyers out there. And just because you're maybe a CEO of a company and you negotiate every day doesn't mean when it comes to your family home that you're going to be non-emotional because all of a sudden the kids decide which bedroom they want. Um, You know, your husband decides he loves the cabana and all of a sudden you're faced with, oh my gosh, the whole family wants this and you could end up overpaying because everybody wants it. So, just uh, being able to engage someone who's a professional who does it every day. And the insights we have from the selling agents are quite amazing. So having been in the industry for so long, the relationships I've built up with selling agents is critical for our clients because it means I hear about properties before anybody else and it means I get to get through them, which means we get our due diligence done before anyone else, which means that if we want to move forward on it, we can often block out any competition.
0: So you can work faster. I guess when you were saying... Very fast. The number of houses people might buy... And I suddenly thought, well, you're buying houses every day. How many houses have you bought?
1: Hundreds. And to your point too on making fast decisions, we had a client once where I viewed the property in the morning, rang them and they were in Queensland having a holiday. And I said, one of you needs to get on a plane and get back here because this property will sell tonight. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yes. So then I was able to ask the agent to wait for the decision, got the the client on a plane. They got to see the property at 6 at night it was pouring rain I mean their plane was held up it was just one of those days and we bought the home by ten thirty that night but it was yeah. knowing it was going to sell that day and knowing it was the right property for them that they were like if we had not been told to get on a plane we would have missed it.
0: Nicole a lot of people would not be as familiar with using bias advocates and, and if you've seen them like on the block for example it seems like oh my god they're only dealing with big high-end properties and there's nervousness about what you do and how you get paid can people talk to i mean they can obviously call and talk to an agent i guess a buyer's advocate to find out what they do
2: because mark That's one terrible. time i had a buyer's advocate approach us a guy who worked in a building that I, that I shared in the city in sydney and he spoke to me about being a buyer's advocate and i got nervous and didn't want to talk to him because i thought this is going to add a cost um and mm. it'll costing me more to buy a property i would have found on my own but over yeah, you. and
1: that's probably one of the biggest reasons people think, uh, I'm not going to do that because we all live with four walls and a roof over our head. We all think that we know what we're doing when it comes to buying property. You can touch it, feel it, walk around it, and you feel quite comfortable. But the problem a lot of people have is that they don't do their list and work out what they actually want and why. They buy a property based on a budget and they don't understand if they're going over or under and oh, later in hindsight. That was actually good buying hmm. uh, because they're not knowledgeable. So we aim as advocates, and I know that my team does anyway, is to arm our clients with as much information as possible to make a really sound, educated decision. Our job is not to push them to buy something, it's to present and to give them every bit of information they need. Just like you pay a selling agent to sell your home, you pay a buyer's advocate to look after you. So there are obviously a lot of different ways you can pay a buyer's advocate. You would think also, I mean, this is a question my kids asked me way back when they understood about how I earned my money and would say, but mum, if it's on a commission basis and you're spending a client's money, Surely you just spend as much as possible to get the best commission. Well, some people might, but the way I see it is that if you actually look at the commission and the, the rate that somebody might pay, the, the rate for me might be an extra $100, but for my client, it's next $10,000. So really, am I going to push my client for an extra $10,000 to get it and I'm really only making 100 You know what? For me, and I know this sounds crazy, it's not a major concern. My business is a referral business, so people refer clients to me. I don't go out and cold call.
2: Nicole, do you think that if they, uh, a person buying through a buyer's advocate, um, even though they're paying a commission, are they could they expect to pay the same total amount anyway?
1: They should be able to. So yeah. we should save our clients money by the fact that yeah. we are able to tell them where we think it sits, is it too high, We have that full discussion and our clients also can pay a set fee so they know we're not pushing them into another bracket just to get a fee. It's Mm. set so they know that's exactly what I need to put aside. Now also think of investors. Investors Mm. need to speak to their accountants because nine times out of ten our fee is actually something they can use in their tax deductions. So it makes perfect sense. But if it's also your home for the next 20 or 30 years, what is spending a small amount yeah. paying a professional to secure that asset because it is your asset. It's For some people, it's the biggest asset they will ever hold. It's and so true. being able to get a professional that can help you buy that asset and buy really well because it's very important to understand we make our money when we buy.
0: I'm so glad you said that. And somebody said in the early days to us, and I didn't understand, but I do now, for us, we make our money when we buy it's absolutely you know it's interesting to talk about the commission and you don't push because that that's not your i know from mm. working with you that's not your drive you're passionate about property
1: absolutely passionate it. and i know that 10,000 for my clients might be uh it might be a new bathroom yes uh 50,000 might be their blinds their window furnishings yes. 100,000 is two school fees to private school for me, it's just not a driver because it's about right property and matching the people with their properties. I love it. I, I get anxiety when I see an open for inspection board and think, I have to get in it. I have to <laughs> see what that house looks like um, because for me, I live and breathe it. Uh, and I think that if you're choosing an advocate, you need someone that is across everything, That isn't afraid to ask questions if they don't understand something I am still learning every time I have a client where there's something in a contract that I haven't seen before and you would think I've seen everything you learn that little bit more
2: we're talking about buying a big thing on everyone's minds now is because we've been through this whole crazy price hike through COVID where do you think the market is now and, and where's it heading (laughs)
1: I'd love a crystal ball for the second part of the question. Where is it heading? At the moment, I think if we have a look at both Sydney and Melbourne, the two markets that I play in the most, there's definitely been a correction. I think Mm. the fear of missing out has finally left us. So buyers at the moment have said enough is enough. We're not feeling like we're about to miss out because that's what drives the market. When you fear that you're going to miss out, you jump on anything. When there's low stock levels, it means that you've got less to choose from. And the vendors or the the sellers, as we call them, are very much it's their market. They can almost write what they'd like. Mm -hmm. But when we have a look at the market now, as with most markets, A-grade properties are still selling well, Mm -hmm. B and C-grade properties. So think of properties that maybe are on a main road they are completely unrenovated, which to you guys is fantastic. But to some Mm. people, that's scary. Their floor plan is compromised. Those properties, if they're not priced correctly, and if the vendor's expectations are not in line with the market, they're sitting on the market. So those properties, I think, are very much going to, unless they're priced correctly, sit on the market for a while, which again means that buyers have choice. And Mm. with choice comes longer times to make decisions so I, I think from the selling point of view the selling agents are going to have to think do we go private sale with this property do we sell this property they need to understand the best way to sell those properties for their clients but as a buyer's advocate now instead of rushing to make an offer prior to auction for instance we're looking at the whole market that this property is in and then we're looking at the competition and everything that surrounds this property and saying you know what We're going to wait for auction because we believe we're going to get it for you for a better price at auction because we don't think they've got as many people as they say that are interested in this property.
0: It's a real psychological game, isn't it?
1: It is. And then when you get to the auction, you need to make sure it's not always the person with the deepest pockets. It's the person that looks like they do, the person that is fast on their bids, the person that has that confidence but all of that comes from knowing what price you should be going to. Is it the right property? Have I done my due diligence? So you go into this auction knowing everything about this property that you can, and that gives you confidence when you bid. And if you've got that, it's very scary to bid against.
0: So it's kind of all a game. I mean, not in the ba- I don't mean game in a bad way. It is a game, and now I'm listening to you. So the service and the role that you play And I sound like it's an advert for that role, but it's not because I'm curious about it.
1: (laughs) Bring it on. It sounds
0: like an advert for it, but I'm curious about it because we've never really sat and spoken to you about it. we just Mm. on the block, oh, buys advocates, they bring people to buy our property. Um, But what you're doing is saying, here's a whole lot of information and knowledge that I've gathered over many, many, many years in this marketplace, and I'm bringing it to you for X amount of dollars, which is the commission, which is is cheap because what you're buying is 20 years' worth of experience and knowledge of a market. And you can't Absolutely. gain that yourself if you're only ever buying one or two properties in your lifetime. You won't have the knowledge that Nicole Jacobs has, for example.
1: When you put a lot of things into context, advocates are worth their weight in gold. A good one, that is. But it's like a yes. good selling agent. If you don't have a good selling agent on the other end as well, this is the problem. You know, So you need to interview. You need to make sure you're comparing apples with apples. And don't yes. be afraid to ask them tricky questions because they're going to represent you and you need to know they're very good at what they do
2: Nicole one thing you touched on was um in looking for the right property things that can go against a property can be position main road noise adjoining buildings or whatever but but you mentioned floor plan and when you said floor plan it triggered my memory because I remember when we were building the last (laughs) block house you said to us it has to be four bedrooms and you and I we're looking at the plan with Mark. Yes, and we both pretty much put our finger down on this massive walk-in wardrobe at the same time and said, "That's it. I see it."
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was and in lag. I was just went, "Oh, oh, now I see it." I, yeah, was I just need to give we both realized but you that's know, it
1: because you listen and you were keen to meet the market. So if you're renovating to sell, and let's face it, the block while. It's a journey of the couples doing the renovation. It's also an understanding that if you want to be successful on auction day, you understand the market that you're playing in. So if you're going to just do something to your taste and that's not the market, well, guess what? Come auction day, you're probably going to have less people wanting to buy your property. But if you're smart and you understand the market and in that court and in that area, it's a family market. People want at least, they've got at least two kids. So the three bedrooms are taken up with the the family couple, the two kids. And then we also have a lot of expats in Hampton. So they have people that want to stay over. And so you need the fourth bedroom, which then becomes a study if it's needed. Or in your case, as you had another study area as well. But it just meant that it was more saleable. And when it's more Mm. saleable, you get more competition on auction day and then you do well.
0: And dare I say, Nicole, maybe we listened or, or, you know, what? maybe we were open to listening and looking and thinking about the market. We listened to you. We probably didn't listen to the judges and there was a good reason for
2: that. But, Mark, no, but I think that we made a decision. We made a decision that we'd done a style before, which was mid-century Hollywood Regency, so quite luxe, which suited St Kilda. This This home in the Hamptons, we just felt it was a family with a few kids, um, Bayside suburb, so it had to not only suit the family, but it also had to look like it was part of that part of that market. Mm. And we made a decision earlier on that if we worked our butts off and did did the hours, we could get by without without having the room wins because we felt that we had to be building a home as opposed to a room by room situation. And look, as it turned out for us, it, it did pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah, made it lucky. It made it tougher. Like um, we didn't, we didn't plan, we didn't plan on winning. We just planned on building the right house.
1: Yes, and I think that many lose focus. And I know that you need money to be able to put things into bedrooms when you're doing the block. But if you play for the end game, mm-hmm. I think then you have a cohesive home. And if you know what you're doing from the start, which you said, yes, Hamptons, and I think that's why it resonated so well with the market is that you tick the the bedrooms, the bathrooms, uh, the off-street parking, and that connection with the front and back. So it had beautiful street appeal, which is really important. So many people don't understand that before you even go through a home, you drive past because you want to see what it looks like from the outside. Now, if it doesn't appeal to you, you're less likely to actually even go to it, even if online it looks good. Mm. So street appeal is really important and it just fitted into Hampton, it was very Hampton. So I think that, um, you know, those those things, having the end game and being able to do it so it's actually quite neutral but stylish, so yes. that's a real balance, isn't it? Style, yes. beautiful fittings mm. and fixtures but being and not being bland. So, yeah. So, being so beautiful that anyone can see themselves living in there is a real talent. So, well done.
2: Thank That's a been interesting for you, Nicole, because you had a connection with Hampton. As many of our listeners wouldn't know, you actually lived in that street. Um, you, your home, Vito and Tanya's um, mid century uh, home, was your home. It was. A few things there. You sold your home to be part of the block, you had fully renovated, made it beautiful. They pretty much cut it in half and smashed it down almost apart from the facade and left and then handed it over to Vito and Tanya to rebuild. That must have been tough.
1: Look, I the way we looked at it was that we we had a budget when we renovated Eight Bronte Court and that budget we, we used Julian Brinchley as well as our architect because I really love his ability. He listens. He sat down with Zach and I, and we really planned a beautiful home. But we didn't have the budget to do all the amazing things that we wanted to do with that home. And when we were approached, we had a look at what we'd been able to achieve. And not many people would know that being designed by Neil Clarahan, we wanted to make sure that, you know, everything's always for sale. We wanted to make sure, though, that whoever bought it next was not going to knock it over. So for us, we knew that Channel 9 were not going to knock it over, which is really important, and not many people would know that we actually were able to strip a lot of that home to save things. So I love to be able to use things again, and what part of that was to make sure that we would use as many things from there as possible and strip it before because Channel 9 didn't need them and we would strip it and take it so that we were reusing these elements of the home so it wasn't a waste, which is really important to Zach and I.
0: Talking about floor plans, this block was the first time that contestants were given basically do your own floor plan design. Yes, your floor plan. and of course <laughs> we were talking about you know number of bedrooms and stuff. When you were looking through them as a advocate, who got it right and who didn't, in your view?
1: Well, I mean, if we were looking at the auction results, you could probably say everyone pretty much got it right because everyone mm-hmm. had buyers and everyone did mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, I feel that when you play with an architect's floor plan, not that you had them, but you had a guide, then what they've set out to achieve, I think, is always to maximise for you as contestants. It's not there to make you look stupid, um, and they've thought about it. And again, they're trained, they've been doing it for many years, and Julian Brenchley is amazing. Yes. So, who got it right, who got it wrong? I don't think anyone got it completely wrong. Um, eight Bronte Court, which was house three, which was my old one, was mm-hmm. very different to what I expected it to be. We did have four bedrooms, a study, two and a half oh. bathrooms. Oh, do, I didn't know Originally, that. originally yeah.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: and a massive kitchen, living, dining area, but we didn't have a pool and we didn't have a garage. So those are two oh. things that Bayside love. So being able to... So they sacrificed where we had a study for the double garage and used that side where we had a mudroom and laundry. And so our design was quite different. So I think that I was quite taken aback that they didn't do an extra bedroom and they didn't think about that. But at the end of the day, there were still enough buyers wanting what they had achieved. And we had one buyer that really wanted that home as well. So, you know, they only had one child and they only wanted to have one child. So everyone's different. Look at the end of the day, everyone did a good job. So, and everyone had buyers. So, being politically correct, I think everyone did a wonderful job. We did. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry,
0: that's probably
2: well. But but also, if you look at the
0: twins, twins. though, because floor plans, it's not floor plans
1: are really important. Floor plans can make or break a house. So, I think when you look at the traditional floor plan, probably house one, which was the biggest house, or is that house five? I've forgotten now.
2: House five. House five.
1: That's five, the biggest one. So that traditional walk-in, you've got the hallway, you've got the bedrooms on either side and it opens up to a big open plan, fantastic. But there are also buyers that love different. You know, they do love to be able to walk in and see the back and, I mean, you didn't have a traditional floor plan in that respect. Um, Tanya and Vito didn't have a traditional floor plan from that respect and neither did the boys at the end. Um I probably would have done something a bit different for them, but, you know, that's me being quite picky, but I could see where I would have been able to give it a hallway, for instance, and make their dining room bigger. Or those little bits of adjustments, I would have probably, if I was their agent, I probably would have advised that.
2: But it's funny with the, with um, Josh and Luke, the twins, you know, the most talk was about the fact of them flipping the garage and and, and there was yes. talk about them getting it wrong. Um Mm. But they they took away the second highest prize on the block. So how wrong were they?
1: Yeah, well there you go. Exactly right. You never know, do you? And they resonate exactly. with people. I mean, that was very yeah. modern looking compared to yes. say yours and across mm. the road, uh, and in stark contrast to next door. Although they, they both had amazing uh, roof lines, but very different. And the clients we represented on that one had seen it from the outside and just loved it and they loved the position and they were it, that was it. They didn't want to consider anything else. So yeah. it, it's quite amazing when you actually take real buyers through who likes what and yeah. for different reasons.
0: It's really mm. interesting because I we spoke to the twins here on Reality Renault and I said to them, in my view, I think if they had not swapped the bedrooms, if they'd retained the double garage, their position – um, so if they hadn't done the swap and if they had made the Jack and Jill bathroom a different orientation and not used all that space, they, they would have been in prime position to win. They, they were the so ones So I to think
1: the other thing too is auction order and we forget that. Auction mm, oh order absolutely. is really important because if you've got a buyer there that's happy to get any of them and we had a buyer that had three that they were happy with, if they get the first one, they're out for the rest of it yeah. and they're no longer competing. So order is really important on the block because not many houses go to auction with four competitors on the same day mm. within yeah. half an hour of each other so it's an incredible task as contestants to actually mm. go up against competition not only on auction day but every day you're there yeah. for 12 weeks you've got your competition right by your side so but it also hats off to anybody doing the block
2: but also um it's interesting that um, you can take the position of the houses were best in order of f- from first to fifth. But realistically, that means that you're saying that the buyer, um, the buyer knew which house was best. And quite frankly, as far as I've always seen the block, the house that wins wins the block or wins the most money is the house that somebody wanted more than the other houses. And it doesn't mean that that person is buying the best house. It just means it's the house that was best for them. Yeah. So it doesn't have any reflection on whether the yeah. house was right or wrong. So it's all about the It's buyers. what's right
1: for them. And for but the think different. about, so if you look at it, and we can only see this in retrospect because then we find out more about each buyer, if your your property was bought by the underbidder, there wouldn't have been competition on the next, on number True, four. Yes, True. So, it's it's it very much is determined Depends. by the depth of buyers that want that property on the day. In the
0: order. Were you surprised by order. the auction order that, like running Georgia, had the power to decide it? They could have gone anywhere. Did it surprise you the order they went?
1: I thought they would go first or second. Um, I I did think that maybe number five would go first because it's the biggest. That it would. Set the standard for everything else, and then they might come after that. I think Ronnie and Georgia did the most beautiful home. Unfortunately, I think being on a corner, it was potentially held back by that. Yeah. Mm. But I think the buyer of theirs got a very good, very got good
2: um, property. Yes, yet.
0: they, they did a yes.
2: bargain. But something along the block is going to Gisborne, going mm-hmm. country. Ten yeah. hectare lots. <laughs> what do you think? That's amazing. What, what do you think can we do? It's huge. So
0: huge. What, what do you think we can? Nicole knows Melbourne. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? What are the what? Are, well,
1: what are I the think you can. Like? You can expect. Uh, well, on ten acres, you can expect tractors. I'm sure. <laughs> right <Yes>. on mowers. <laughs> think about the Mitch landscaping. On one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Look. I think it's going to be an incredible series because we're going to be taking, you know, um, contestants that will be on majorly big blocks with homes that will reflect that and they'll be making decisions. Are they actually renovating it for a homeowner or are they renovating it for someone for a lifestyle property for the weekend? Uh, Maybe because it's not that far out of Melbourne, it's not really a weekender. Um, because most people would like to go a little longer (laughs) or a little further away. But Gisborne is a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And so I think that it will just be a really refreshing change uh, for contestants for the show to showcase some amazing homes that have been, again, repurposed, put on the land, and then they'll do the renovation. So I think I'm very excited about it.
2: Oh, to I can't I can't wait to watch it this season which will be your first time in three a years long time. in, three, in yeah. three years
0: yeah no, we haven't been down there you know moving away from block but it's interesting because the renovations we are in a country obsessed by property mm. completely obsessed and, and this show goes around the world you know I know we've been contacted by people from the Netherlands South Africa Finland it's crazy people around the world watch the block. Why do you think we're so obsessed by property? What what drives that for Australians? Have you learned that? Like
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see people at auctions on the weekend. They're actually not there to buy. They're there just because they love the theatre of it. They're there because they love the voyeurism of walking through someone else's home. They want to see how they have renovated, how they have decorated, how, you know, maybe it's their, their um, neighbour and they've never been inside and they'd love to see inside. So I think that we're obsessed with that, but we have an obsession with these shows too. So everybody when they, you know, and the block, I mean, The block is responsible for uh, different buying patterns in shops. So, you know, if you think of Reese, who's one of the major sponsors um, at times, you know, they might have said, we don't think Black Tapware is going to be in anymore, but then the block comes on and a few contestants use Black Tapware, they have to reorder Black Tapware because people see these shows, they're inspirational and they're aspirational. And I think that we all love to think beyond where we are I think COVID has changed the way we feel about our homes. It's made us really think about our spaces. It's made us think about how we decorate them. I mean, we've been sitting in our lounge rooms for so long going, oh, my gosh, I hate the colour of the cushions or I this and the other and all of a sudden one of these shows comes on and you go, ooh, a bit of online shopping or I'll go into, you know, a Dares. or I'll go into... Or Mitch Adel- and Mark Home. Oh, or my God, or Mitch and Mark home. <laughs> oh, my God, I've got your candle. And yeah. you, I mean, you exactly right. You, I mean, <laughs> people love being able to accessorise and being able to choose, you know, uh, things that will change the look of their home inside. And if you're a renter, of course, you get to do that as well and you can take all of that with you. So I think we've been obsessed with our own sort of, you know, uh, castle, if you like, in Australia, but... You know, with the internet, with the access to these beautiful shows, architectural shows, all those sorts of things, people really do love sitting back and watching it because then they can be inspired to do the work themselves or, you know, the aspiration to be a contestant, for instance. Yeah, that's like true. Who would
0: who would ever want to be a contestant on a show like that? And speaking of renovation, you yes. renovated. And you buy properties for people. So you've seen people renovating to sell. Yeah. What are your tips and hints in terms of renovating? If somebody is looking to renovate, you know, and they've got a certain budget, have you got, based on your experience, where should they spend that money? You know, you've talked about street curb appeal, which Mm. means you've talked about in, and we wrote an article, Reality Renown Papers, about actually the rooms that sell houses are not kitchens and bathrooms. It's the front yard. It's the street Mm. appeal. But what are your tips for people listening?
1: So if you're renovating and you're going to sell, you're renovating for profit. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. So knowing your market, again, as we discussed before, as to what's going to appeal will allow you then to work out where you're going to spend your budget. And budget is the key. So work out where you're going to spend it. If you budget and budget again and have a contingency, it's very important. So where would you spend the money? Well, to very at the very start, you need to make sure that whatever you've bought and you're going to sell has a good floor plan because you don't want to be doing too many big construction changes. So if you buy a home that's got a, a relatively good floor plan, then that will allow you to do cosmetic renos. So painting is important. And I would say that for every dollar you spend on that home to sell, then you should be getting two back minimum. So Painting's wow, yeah. one of them. Nobody wants to paint, so yeah. if you can paint a home freshly, then fantastic. Um, even on the outside, so that street appeal with a freshly painted home, people know. Thank goodness, one thing I don't have to do is paint.
2: You're talking to a couple. Of, you talk. You're talking to a couple of block painters here. Believe me, yes. the last thing we want to do is freaking Correct. paint. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, and it's the one thing you must do if you're a block contestant. So, when we have a look at other key areas obviously the kitchen the the laundry and the bathrooms for storage but be smart so if the cabinetry is okay just replace the the bench top so that it looks fresh and light so that's something that could be an easy fix and also an inexpensive fix which is important unclutter do all those things so you might allocate some of your budget to obviously dressing the property so that it also looks amazing. Yeah. But if you're going to do any works that are not going to be seen by the buyers, make sure when they're done that you have a full list of everything that's been done to the property. So buyers can come through and go, oh, it's been rewired. Fantastic. Oh, it's had the plumbing fixed or it's had whatever it is. So the, the buyers who can't see this, unless it's had a building and pest inspection where they'll go, the wiring's fantastic, they know what you put into it. So they can feel very comfortable that the property's had a good renovation.
0: That's a really good idea. I hadn't thought about that, listing the things you can't see that have been
2: done. So, Nicole, for you, your story, you've been in real estate your whole life.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm only 22. <laughs> we'll buy that. <laughs> Uh, look, I've I've had quite a career. I mean, I am actually um, a teacher by trade. A, like wow. my my, un, my undergrad secondary teaching, physics uh, and science. Yes. Uh, oh, really? And then I hmm, and then went and did a marketing degree, uh, which is where I met my husband Zach. Uh, and after my marketing degree, so I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. I went into property. So. After I went into property, I just knew it was what I loved. So I knew I loved people and I loved property. So the next decision was, well, how do I do it? And that is to become an agent's rep. And then me being me, I decided I really wanted to be as educated and as uh, qualified as possible. So I went and did my licence, which meant that I could run my own business if I wanted to, Uh, but it also meant that I was able to say to somebody, I've done this full course, I know what I'm talking about, and I know you know, all the laws that are associated with buying and selling properties and just felt very confident that that was where I was going to be.
2: It's actually very, very Gen Y of you to have had um, three completely uh, fully educated different um, career paths. You're ahead ahead of your time.
1: Well, I think that, you know, we all change and if you don't like what you're doing, life's too short, you move on. So, It's really important that you listen to yourself and if you want something, my big belief is you go out and you get it. You do not wait for someone else to come to you and say, hey, what about this? Because life will pass you by and all of a sudden you're stuck in a desk job or you're stuck in something that you just don't like and I am a huge believer that if you put it out to the universe, then it will come back and, you know, you'll actually be able to achieve it.
0: And you make your own luck. You go out and you create your own luck
1: you absolutely do and i think you do that by just manifesting you know i'm a big manifester i'm a big storyboard person i love putting things on a storyboard for the year i love to have one for work and i have one for family and home so that i can really think about what it is that i want to achieve and that allows me then just to relax and go i'm on my path
0: um nicole i've got um We've spent so much time, which we value so much, because we love talking to you. Um, I guess a couple of quick things. We're recording this today. It's Tuesday. This will be going out tomorrow. But tonight there's the budget and there's talk about um, how do we support first-home buyers getting into um, the market. What do you think the budget's going to deliver for first-home buyers? Anything?
1: I'm hoping they will, because first-home buyers are finding it more and more difficult. We've seen the resurgence of investors coming back into the market and so they really are competing against the poor 1st home buyers i think 1st home buyers also though need to do something for themselves and that is to think about that they can buy but they may not be able to buy exactly what they want first time so buy something really good and you could even rent fest. so you buy yes. it and you put tenants in it and then you can go and live in your yuppie suburb where you want to eat your you know smashed egg uh, you yeah. know a smashed avocado and egg Be prepared to do some work to it. It's not obviously going to be amazing. Be prepared to start small and grow. It's getting into the market that's important. Maybe you do it with a friend. Make sure it's contractually been all put together for you, though. But Mm -hmm. make sure that you also explore every government uh, ability to help you with that. There are lots of different schemes out there. Make sure that you know exactly what they are. Speak to your broker. They will know and that way it will help you. It may save you ten, twenty thousand dollars 20000 which you can put towards buying yes. that home.
0: I have one other technical question on my mind. And we had somebody ask us this question. So the question, and interested, get what what you think. What if you are a couple in your 50s and for some reason or other you've not stepped onto the property ladder here? You may not have bought yet or you've moved country. You've come into Australia and you haven't bought and you have about $100,000 for a deposit, but you can't at this stage... Buy somewhere you want, and well, you're not too late at fifty, and you're a not a first
2: home buyer, literally. and you're not a
0: first home buyer because maybe you don't qualify for that.
1: Mm. It's a it really can- good question. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how much you've got to put down on a property unless you're buying it outright. It's your serviceability. So if you have the ability to service that mortgage, then you're going to get you'll get a, a loan. Then the key from that is to work out. Who you're going to get your loan through. So you want a really good mortgage broker or a really good relationship with your bank manager so that you can work out exactly how you can make that happen. And it may take a bit longer than what you thought.
2: Nicole, we have asked you a million questions, and um, you've come up with answers for everything. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna flip it now. Oh. We're gonna give you the opportunity to ask us a question, any question for both of us or for each Almost. of us whatever you'd like to ask nothing is off the table
1: wow okay well my first question has to be Ooh. drawing on the fact that you said you've got multiple things on your uh, agenda into what you can do what's the main thing you're doing at the moment
2: probably the main thing we do at the moment is the, is um our uh, oh, Mitchmark mark home online and and store we moved where we've we have got the beautiful
1: first... store.
2: Well, we yes. opened 1st December. We doubled in size, and now we're about to to move into a different space in Newport still, but one that's probably twice as big because we, we need more space so we can, we can get everything together in the store, including um, all the stock we have that's making our home look like <laughs> a, a warehouse. Big on my agenda is renovating this house, yeah. and we can't renovate the house until we get the store fully set up.
0: And we keep we... saying we're going to be renovating this house. House and you think we would have done it by now, people would be sick of hearing us talk about it. Having said that <laughs> with the rain that's been going on, I did say to Mitch, you know, in a bizarre kind of way, if we had been halfway through a Renault and the rain that has been hitting Sydney, it would have just been horrible because Absolutely. it would have stopped work. And But on, mm. on that note, Nicole, it's so wonderful to talk to you. We, we do get to spend time the last three years. We've caught up with you every time in the block. But it's really interesting to learn more about The bias advocate role, because I had never thought of it in the way you've just spoken about it. For people listening, we're going to put some notes in our episode notes if you're happy, put in some information where they might be able to come through and, and learn more about absolutely role, i'm really website. happy to
1: talk to people too they don't necessarily have to use me but i'm always really happy i speak to a lot of advocates around the country mm-hmm. because they would like more information on mm-hmm. how their processes could be improved or whatever but also a lot of people that want to buy and they just want to understand it a little bit more and i'm more than happy to do that they could go and buy my book sold as well if they like oh
0: that's <laughs> good we'll put it in our notes People, if you want to learn more about Nicole, what Nicole Jacobs um, has learned and what she brings to the table, Nicole has her book. We went to the launch of that on the Oslo. You
2: called did? Sold.
1: Oh, yes. So long ago Available now. at all good bookstores like and so online. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole,
2: Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you giving it your time, and it's been invaluable what you've shared. So. um Much appreciation, um, much love, and um, and we'll miss you this this year. We won't get to see you, but um, maybe maybe we'll catch up socially. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Mitch, Mark, so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me on your program.
2: Thanks, darling. Bye. Well, Marky, that was amazing to chat with Nicole, as always, but I've never delved into the buyer's advocate role And I think it makes sense. I think when we're buying a house for whatever it is today, over over a million into millions, if you're investing that much money, it kind of makes sense. I think
0: it does. I've always been a person who'd been very sceptical about that. And I think asking the question, of well, where do they make their money? But Nicole makes sense in that commission for them is not going to make that much difference. You know, they're not going to settle for too high price. They want to look after their client. Um, Having said that, the way that, She said, you get all this information, you know, you have a team. She was talking about it's important to have a good team. We've always said that, a good team, a team of builders or a team of whatever, but to have a good broker, uh, a buyer's advocate can be part of that. And they seem to bring all this information to one place. So it sounds like you can benefit from it.
2: Well, Mucky, when you think about it this way, you're like all the things we do, you engage professionals to, to do the job for you. Yet when we're making the biggest financial decision of our lives... We trust the person who's uh, representing the seller to be the person we buy off rather than having
0: someone to represent us. Not that we are advocating that you should have an advice advocate. No, people need to make their decision. I love the way that Nicole said, interview everyone. Don't just settle. Don't just think, oh, well, they're going to look after me. Interview them and don't be afraid to ask tough questions. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, move on to the next person. But um, what we're going to do, Mitch, is we'll have information in our episode notes, and we'll probably pop it on social because we advertise our podcast. And about Nicole's book. Nicole's book, Soul. There will be links to websites so that if you do want to learn a bit more about that service, Nicole's around. I'm sure there are other advocates, but we'll give Nicole's details so you can
2: learn more. But for now, thank you for listening to another episode of Reality Runner with Mitch and Mark. We appreciate it. Please give us feedback. We love to hear your feedback. And if you liked it, share it with your friends. And if you
0: have any questions, email us at inquiries at mitchandmark.com and we'll um, see if we can address it in any of our podcasts. So until next time, look for our podcast where you find all your good podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> on, that was very formal. On Spotify, iTunes, or the Acast website,
2: or on our website, mitchermark.com. Absolutely, guys. Until next week, stay safe, stay dry. See you then.
0: Bye.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.